Welcome to Practical Knowledge for Personal Development, or PKPD for short, a pharmacy podcast where we explore the various ways to grow as a person and pharmacist by discussing common questions asked by pharmacy learners. Our ambition is to see our listeners achieve their personal and professional goals. This episode is part two of a three-part series discussing the transition between stages of learning. And in this episode, we're going to talk about that fun transition between PGY1 and PGY2 resident. So I'm super excited for this episode. And, uh, you know, Hunter, you have a lot of experience in this uh, this realm, I would say. So how is your transition from a PGY1 resident going into a PGY2 resident? I'm sure there's a lot we can talk about here. Yes. Uh, let's just start with, I'm glad I only have to do it once. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame me there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's something that you, you don't get you don't hear about in pharmacy school and you don't really hear much in PGY1. You hear a lot of people talk about just early committing and people trying their best to not go to a different institution because they don't want to go through the match again or they don't want to move across the country. Uh, You know, I had the mindset of like, I wanted to go where the best training and experience was going to line up with my interest. So that meant moving across the country again. So I think probably the first thing I would highlight with that transition was, oh gosh, probably most applicable for anyone that's doing two different locations for their two residencies is institutions are very different. Even if the EHR is the same, that, that was a huge adjustment because it was like, oh, I know Epic, but everybody configures their EHR different, even if they're speaking the same language how you order medications can be very different at different institutions. Interesting. Like how so? So for example, it took me, because you you develop habits of like, oh, okay, this is how I satisfy a vancomycin consult. And then for a few weeks, I kept trying to, how I was, how I would do a vancomycin consult and the kind of orders and what I'm looking for at my previous institution, that's what I was trying to do at my current in, or at my current institution. So it's like, oh, a vancomycin level is called like there's not peak and trough and random. There's just level. So I was like trying to order vancomycin random levels, and I had learned or I was trying to order trough, but I was like, I can't type in vanc trough. Why is it not showing up? <laughs> And trying to learn like how to time it, I was like, I was getting other pharmacists telling me, hey, you know, your levels aren't going to get drawn on time because you're picking a certain window for it to be collected or picked up. And it's like, oh, I didn't have to do that where I was at before. It just defaulted to something that always works. <laughs> Imagine that that's definitely a hard, hard thing to kind of like overcome, I guess. And I mean, not only you moved from what as a a state in the South to the Midwest, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm sure the, you know, the demographic of the patients that you're treating is definitely different too. So you kind of have to take that into consideration as well. And if it's a bigger, I don't know if it was a bigger hospital or a smaller hospital or around the same, but you know, you're going to have new co-residents. You might, were you the only one now as like the um, ID resident or did you have like another person with you oh oh no i really wanted a co-resident where i was going for my pgy2 so i am fortunate i have a a co-resident uh it's been 
I would encourage anyone who's thinking of doing a PGY2, if you can have a co-resident, it makes it so much more of a manageable experience because you have someone to commiserate with and you have someone to bounce ideas off of. And yeah, it's I, I've enjoyed having a co-resident. Um, shout out to Michael. He's he's honestly the life of the party. And I don't think I would fully take advantage of conferences without him. Oh, yeah. That's like this little camaraderie you guys have and share. So I probably would feel the same way and want to want a co-resident as well if I was in that situation. So, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the nice thing, too, is like I went from a health system that had, you know, there was just the three other PGY1s with me and then a couple PGY2s, but that was limited to the one health system. It was just just that one where I'm at now there's like 10 hospitals in the health system. So there's like 40 plus residents and like there's, there's a ton of us. So even like the leadership opportunities and the, like me being a chief, like I have other chiefs with me and there's just a lot more resident interactions. So you'll, you'll see that at some of the larger academic medical centers that have the large health systems. So like you can be a PGY one at a smaller hospital, but when you're a part of the health system, you have co-residents. They're just at other hospitals, but there's especially at like statewide or national conferences like mid-year, you get to see a lot of them and interact with them there. So I don't know. I wanted a big health system. So yeah, yeah. I kind of got what I asked for. Yeah, that's great. And what would you say like the biggest difference was when you um, you started your PGY2 and kind of comparing it back to your PGY1 experience. Like what would you say something that you learned that was valuable or um, that anyone listening out here is, is also maybe in that same situation transitioning to a whole different health system like you were? What was something that you kind of learned? I think this is this will be, I would say, applicable to anyone who's even early committed to staying at the same institution the moment you go from PGY1 to PGY2, people see that. And you can start to be asked questions, if not already as a PGY1, if you're already at the same place. But I remember whenever I had started, even during orientation, people knew like, okay, Michael and Hunter are the ID pharmacy residents. We can ask them our questions. It's like, well, I'm, I'm only in orientation. I'm getting asked questions about like penicillin desensitization protocols. Like, I mean, I'll go find it. I'll figure out the answer. But yeah, from the moment that it's like, all right, this is the person I can ask the whoever's in that role, doesn't matter how long they've been there, those questions will start firing. People look at you as the the expert. I mean, a lot of people look at if you're doing a PGY2, you're crazy enough to to want to specialize in that area. So you've got to have some type of passion or interest in that area. So they you generally feel comfortable asking those individuals because most people know too that if that PGY2 doesn't know the answer, it's going to be their assignment to find out the answer. And were you expecting that when you went into your PGY2 where you're like, oh, wow, I am, you know, getting all these answers. I'm sure you you were, but, you know, maybe to like what extent, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I was expecting I was expecting to be asked questions, but not to the extent that I have experienced. So especially on rotations where like your name, like you'll put your name on the, oh, what's the right term for it? The, the dashboard of like where everyone's working. And oftentimes, at least at my institution, we'll put the name of like, oh, I have a resident with me. What that gets interpreted as is ask this person your questions. I see. That, so that there's. Sense. So you can definitely tell like on the months that you're not on that rotation, 
if you built a good relationship with those that ask you questions, you'll get those questions off rotation. But it's fun. And it's nice to have those relationships. It can be a little overwhelming at the beginning because you're like, I, I don't know the answer, but you're doing a PGY2 in that area. This is the time where you're wanting to build that foundation, that clinical knowledge. So just be ready for those questions. They may come faster than you're expecting. Yeah. And especially moving to a whole different state and a whole new system. And that's kind of like the first thing you get bombarded with. It's it's definitely, I'm sure, kind of a shock, but also something that you could be, you've hopefully been prepared for in your PGY1. So yeah, it's a it's exciting time, I'm sure. And uh, you definitely will learn a lot. Would you say now, like for your orientation, how would you say that kind of compared from your PGY1 to PGY2? Did you get an orientation? I mean, I know it's kind of a hard question because every institution has a whole different way they orient their their residents. But I'm just curious, like what maybe what your experience was like. And I'm sure we can take this with a grain of salt because not everyone's going to have the same experience. Right. And if there's anything I would stress to people to think about with orientation is orientation is more geared towards what you're going to be doing on your staffing time. I I guess I had thought, oh, orientation is going to be where I develop my foundation ID knowledge and like get familiar with UTIs, bacteremias, pneumonias. No, it was more get familiar with what does it mean to be a pharmacist in this health system. So I think I mean, that was a failure on my part of like, I should have asked, like, what is the goal of orientation here? Because for the most part, it's making sure that when they send you out to staff, you know what you're doing and you know where to look for protocols, look for resources. Um, And the biggest thing about the staffing or not staffing, the orientation model here, as opposed to where I was at before, is the scope of practice of of a pharmacist where I'm at now is incredibly wider than where I was at before. So I was very overwhelmed very quickly, like, whoa, we can just do that by policy here? Like, I had to ask for an order where I was at before to do this. Here, it's like, the consult comes in and the physician's like, all right, thanks, you take care of it. Like, oh, okay. Cool. I mean, it's nice. It's you get that independence and that that expanded scope. But if you're coming from a place where your scope of practice is very limited, that orientation may, may very well overwhelm you. Yeah, and I actually didn't even think about that. But you're you're totally right. I was thinking more of like, yes, you have a whole different demographic of patients, possibly um, depending on where you're at, bigger city, smaller city, whatever it may be. But I, I didn't think about it. You know, from that standpoint too, the scope of practice is definitely going to vary in the autonomy of what you can and can't do as a pharmacist, you know, also will. So. Right. I think one of the things that I still think about that was like the biggest shock for me was how they do TPNs here. Like the consult comes through and you just take care of it from that point. Like it's. So they don't have like an outside person. Like- nope. It is the pharmacist covering that unit does the TPN. And I came from a place where I was doing minimal TPNs. I actively avoided having to do TPNs because I don't like to, I don't want to I do it either. as much. Like I, <laughs> it's my worst nightmare. Exactly. <laughs> to like, be honest with you, I could do anything except I just don't want to do TPN. Please, 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 please. Nope. But right. You know, yeah, I was, I was so not much. excited. I was so worried. I was like, am I going to have to do a lot of these? But at least like, you know, there were lots of pharmacists that do TPNs and they, 
were more than happy to share their tips and tricks on how to do it. And in fact, I'm very glad I've learned how to do it because it's taught me the value of collaborating with your dietitians. Oh my gosh, are those are those team members incredibly knowledgeable about like way more than I thought? Like you don't like the nice thing is like they calculate all the macros for us. For us, it's just figuring out how to get to that point, what we want to do with the electrolytes. So it was overwhelming initially in the orientation piece because I was like, uh, I guess I should have asked about if I'd have to do TPNs during the interview, but it's all better now. It's the point of orientation is to get you to be able to do that. Yeah. And I'm sure that's just something that didn't cross, you know, your radar. And I don't think it would have crossed mine either, just thinking about TPNs. But yeah, you're right. No, they are they definitely play a huge role in, in our hospital system. And I remember at my old, old hospital system, they did the same thing and they just were the pivotal pivotal uh you know part of the of the team so absolutely love them but uh but yeah definitely important to learn how to do it yourself as well so right yeah (laughs) Uh, um (laughs) so i am curious now as far as licensing goes what was your experience with that so you were licensed in the state of florida and then now you had to get licensed like what was that timeline like when did you start to think about getting licensed was it right when you matched what what were the fees? You know, I'm I'm confused because I've yeah. never been through this, so I'm I'm just curious right. to hear your perspective. Yeah, licensing is it's as much fun as it is as a student as it is being a resident going somewhere else again. Uh, I the timing was things were smoother, more smooth. I don't know the right way to say that. Uh, it was less of a stressful process because you already had gone through it once. So you knew like what buttons to click on the website um, all and all the states for the, at least in my experience that I've looked at, do a good job of saying, this is how to do the reciprocity process. And you can just follow their, like go to NABP and submit your e-transfer and all that stuff. So that part was less stressful. It was incredibly expensive. Like you're looking at almost fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, just depending on what your state's licensing fees. And when you're a resident, that's a paycheck. Yeah. Did you as a paycheck save, or were you thinking about saving like halfway through, like in January? Because I that definitely yeah. probably would have not crossed my mind. No offense, I don't yeah, think I would have thought um, about it that hard. But many residents moonlight and pick up shifts. I am one of those residents that pick up many shifts. I also try and use picking up shifts, especially in the fall, as extra staffing training time. So it made staffing in the spring much easier because I had had more time to get familiar with the processes and get that experience. So, but still, it's expensive. It's if you're not prepared for it, it's just going to go on a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. That's because it's not like you can say I can't afford licensing, so I just don't have to get licensed. So. Yeah, so be it. But like, you know, you spend all this money to PPS and Matt and applying, and I'm sure it's yeah, the last yeah, thing it's you do. it's not fun, but at least you've done an MPJE before by that point, unless you you know got licensed in Idaho and you're at a state that doesn't require an MPJE. But you, uh, but you had to take another, you had to take a, another MPJE, right? Because you're in a whole different state. Yes, I had because I had done and it was really frustrating because Florida was the most law heavy, like state specific MPJE I've heard (laughs) that I will probably ever take. Like, I don't plan on going to Texas anytime soon, so I don't have to worry about taking their massive MPJE. But Florida's was challenging. 
and not because there was a lot of federal laws because Florida has a law for darn near everything at the state level. Like, and one of the, the, a great example of how I can say that is I also took my Kansas MPJE like a month after my Florida MPJE. And the way I had to study for Kansas was forget everything I knew about Florida. Cause it was like, Oh, okay. How can I remember this? Okay. Kansas doesn't even have a law for this. So when I see that question, like just remember that, they don't address it. I see. And follow what federal says. But for Florida, I was like, okay, Florida says this. Federal says this. Okay, Florida's more strict, so I got to go with Florida. Minnesota was the opposite of Florida. There was much, in my opinion, there was much less state uh, delineation of how you have to handle things, but much more federal. So I had to lean more on the federal again. So <sighs> it's <laughs> MPJs are not fun. Uh, I'm so jealous of those that are either doing PGY or going to start their PGY2 or taking a job in Ohio. Because I learned this recently. Apparently, if you're reciprocating to Ohio, you don't have to take an MPJE. Yeah. And also, I believe if like, you work at a VA, you can actually get licensed in yes. like Vermont or Idaho or something along those lines. Don't, you know. Don't, uh, the Idaho loophole. Yeah, the Idaho loophole, and then you basically get licensed as a pharmacist, and you don't have to take the MPGA, but you can practice at any any VA system. So it's yep. like, oh man, like oh, they're so lucky. So that's like also a perk as you know it, it, when working in a, in a VA system. Um, but yeah, it's just super interesting. One of my friends did that, and I mean, honestly, I probably would too. But uh, yeah, right. it's just uh, it's just kind of these rules, you know, just crazy. But when would you say you started to study for the MPJE during your resident, your PGY one, going into your PGY two? Because I'm assuming like you were trying to finish up your PGY one, you're cramming yeah. all this stuff in. You finally know where you're matching. You're trying to figure out where to move to. All this stuff, and when are you gonna have time to study for MPJE? Yeah, that all all great questions. Um, First thing I did was on match day, I just got the process started. I just went in, paid the fees, get me in line, because the last thing you want to do is delay getting that process started to where you're competing with the new grads. Oh, to get a spot for to take the exam. Yes. Yeah. So you want to get your ATT before a student even has a chance, for, unfortunately, but you you're fighting with it's not uncommon to have to travel far away to go to a testing center where you can take it. I know for me, when I was taking my Kansas and Florida MPJE, I had to drive. Well, I didn't have to, but if I wanted to get the date that I wanted, I had to drive clear out to Tallahassee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was a two hour drive that, I mean, who wants to do a long drive on a, on a day of or before taking a super stressful exam like that? It was it was kind of funny because not funny. I mean, I feel really terrible <laughs> about this situation, but she was in um, Long Island doing her um, her residency, and the way like you know I uh, whatever how do they schedule it? They schedule it by mileage, but they didn't take into consideration that there's like a huge gap. You have to like go through you know, Long Island and oh, go through no. the whole thing and then go back up. So hers was actually scheduled in Massachusetts or Connecticut, which technically was only like 50 miles if you were just to go like directionally, like right across the ocean. But there's no there's no ferry to take her straight there. So she had to drive all the way around oh, no. through New York to get there. And so it was a whole thing. And I was like, 
Oh my gosh. The fact that they just oh. did not take that into account is crazy. So yeah, definitely that that's a good point. Plan it, plan ahead if you are to, you know, take the MPJ in a different different state and try to beat the new grads out from trying to take uh take theirs. And I think that's what one of my friends did as well. So that is uh very good advice, Hunter. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. And also like try and you know, there's a balance of, you know, I'm taking my MPJE, gosh, uh, next Monday. This is April and me taking this MPJE for my new job. And that's really because in case I fail, I want to have more time to be able to retake it and not delay my start date. But, you know, some might say like, oh, no, you should schedule it further out so you have more time to study. Let's all be honest. No matter when you schedule that stupid exam, you're only going to study the two to three weeks right before it. Yeah. You just have to pull the trigger and just do it and just – and literally force yourself. You have to schedule it. That's what I realized. Schedule it. Make a date. Yes, you might not be prepared, but at least it will push you. And if you need to retake it, you can retake it. Not the end of the world, but you just have to kind of push yourself and say, hey, this is the date. I'm going to take it and do it. (laughs) I agree. Is there anything else you think you like would want to touch upon going from a PGA one to PGA two that you think that we missed. I think we hit us some good points. I mean, really, I just, I want to stress the finances again, because it is a, it is such a, it's a move. Like it is an expensive process. You're doing exactly what you did as a student. And this is, I mean, this is more for people that are going to a different institution, especially one that's far away. I can imagine people going coast to coast from PGA one to PGA two. That's, I mean, I've got, like, you know, it's nice now that I'm a PGY2 going to job where I was able to get, you know, a sign-on bonus to help pay for movers. Just going from Minnesota to St. Louis for movers was a little over $5,000. Where are you going to cough up five grand as a, as a PGY1? Like, that's so many extra shifts. Like, that's you're asking to violate duty hours to get to that point. And if anyone can figure out a way to negotiate a sign-on bonus or a relocation package from PGY1 to PGY2, I'd love to hear it because that would certainly make it easier. But so, Send us an email, <laughs> please, <laughs> if you have any advice. Uh, yeah, that no, definitely finances would be uh, something to definitely emphasize for sure. I, I, I yeah. even just going from PG, from students to PGY1, it's... I'm still paying off some things, so it's it's crazy. But but yeah, definitely keep that in the back of your mind. Try to save as much as you can because you never know what comes up. Right. And even with, you know, that you, you always hear this, oh, you should save money for retirement or save or put money away towards stuff like that whenever you're able to. If I could go back and look at how my finances were whenever I started PGY1, I would not have contributed. I know this is going to like rub so many people the wrong way, but I would have not put a dollar towards my retirement because that's money I needed that could have put been less money on credit cards to help with mid-year, with, with applications, with licensing. Like, yes, that money could have given, like grown all, all of that fun stuff with time, but that does is that going to make up the difference with credit card interest? And the other thing I would emphasize with that is just looking at how much my contributions that are going to be matched with my pharmacist salary compared to what my resident salary is. Like 
It's pathetic. Like, when you think about, like, a pharmacist's salary is, like, two to three times more of what you are as a resident. More often, like, yeah, two and a half times what you're making as a resident. As a resident, one year is, like, two and a half years of your resident stuff. So, I don't know. I, I wish I wouldn't have, because the other thing that really screwed me over was looking at the vesting. So, like, for those that aren't familiar with retirement stuff, vesting means the contributions that your employer gives like matching the contributions you do to your retirement vesting is what you get to keep so like some places will do okay you have to stay with us a year and you'll get to keep 33 percent of your amount of your employer contributions two years you get 66 percent, and then three years you get to keep the whole amount i was there for 364 days so i got to keep zero of the employer contributions but yeah. so the money i which, you know, really, you need to read the fine print and, and figure out what's the vesting if you're going to do that approach. But don't feel like you have to contribute to your retirement as a resident. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm not, I, I can't speak upon on this matter. But um, I mean, I think it would definitely be of interest if we could find somebody who is well-versed in this area and is a financial advisor. I know um, oh, for sure. uh, somebody who wrote this book. It's, um, oh my goodness, I am, I'm blinking on it. I think I actually have a, hold on one second. It is, oh, here we are. Hold on. I'll cut this out, but. Ooh. All right. Yeah. So it'd be very interesting to kind of get somebody who is, uh, you know, financially savvy to kind of help maybe residents in this situation or new grads. Um, but there is a book called The Seven Figure Pharmacist, and I'm not in any way advertising this. <laughs> but um, but Tim Church and Tim Oh, Everett, yes. I hope I'm saying their names right. Um, <laughs> you know, wrote this, and it's actually a really good book, and I highly encourage anyone to, to read this. But, you know, it talks about how to maximize your income, eliminate debt, create wealth, and and all that, all that fun stuff. So it'd be great to maybe have them on at some point. We can kind of talk about that and finances and how to manage it a little bit better. Yeah, that's a great idea. I wish I would have read that book beforehand. And I should also preface with like, we're not giving financial advice. This is more of like, if I would have, like I'm talking to previous or prior Hunter, like pre PGY1 of like, be better with your finances. Don't contribute to all that stuff. Like, I did. I wound up contributing. I have that money. It's now sitting in an account waiting for me to roll it over to other stuff. But I wish I could have used that money for applications and all that stuff. So everyone's financial picture is going to be different. Like you're going to have, if you have a significant other that's also working, you've got more income. Maybe it will be easier to do that. But everyone's picture is different. But really think about it. Don't just blindly go through the benefits package that you get and be like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to sign up for the legal plan and never use it and not even know what you signed up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, I think uh, we touched upon a lot of really good things. And um, yeah, I mean, what are your what are your thoughts? Anything else you want to kind of close out with? I guess I would close out with one of the uh, and a PGY1 asked me this the other day. They they had asked because she's going to be staying on. And she was asking about you know, how do I, do I get recharged whenever PGY2 starts? Do I, like, because there's not much of a break in between PGY1 and PGY2 starting. Oftentimes, you know, you're making, for those that are making that big move, you don't have much downtime, even for the PGY1s that are staying up their same institution. Mm-hmm. True. You've got maybe a week, week and a half before, all right, now you're the PGY2. 
and she had asked like am i gonna like do i get that chart recharge like i feel so exhausted right now do i just start pgy2 like restarted and refreshed and really what i had told her was you know it's you're it's magically not going to you're not going to magically hit this reset button but the respect that you get with being that specialist is going to really help your imposter syndrome like for some it might make it worse but i feel like especially for myself i was like no people are coming to me like i'm the expert fake it till you make it i might as well go with but i'm sure you knew what you were doing (laughs) we all feel that way we totally do we all do right and you'll and what i really stressed to her was you chose to do a pgy2 for a reason whatever that reason is stick to it because that's what you're going to need to cling to whenever it gets really difficult and challenging as you're going through your pgy2 like my love for id is what gets me through the days that suck and that aren't as enjoyable but i didn't feel like i like i didn't really get much of a reset period between pgy1 and pgy2 but I was so excited to start PGY2. I didn't feel like I really needed one. And it helped that my last rotation was, it was a Nikki rotation that my preceptor was awesome and let me do like most of the ID stuff on it. So it was kind of like a mini, mini PGY2 ID setup in preparation before starting. So I'm, I'd be curious to hear from other people too, that transition from PGY1 to PGY2, whether they early committed or they transferred to a different institution, like what they what they did as far as recharging and getting ready to start that that next year because it's going to be a big big commitment. And you know, I'm sure you're already really burnt out and, and tired from your PGY one. So, yeah, I think if anyone has, if anyone's listening, I think it would be of benefit if you want to contribute any advice and send that to our email. It's a pkpdpodcast at gmail.com, right? Yep, yep, you got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear any feedback that you guys might have if you have experienced that and what maybe helped you in that sort of situation. How much time did you have? What did you do, um, et cetera. So all, all those things. So would love to hear that uh, from you guys. But uh, I think that's that was really helpful, Hunter. I think that is hopefully – I will, hope so. Yeah, help a lot of people <laughs> listening and – Good luck to anyone transitioning and studying for their MPGE and getting ready to make that transition to their PGA too. It's going to be an exciting time, but hopefully, you know, you'll learn a lot and you're going to be a great clinician. Oh yeah. It feels like that's so far away when you're starting PGA two and then you hit mid and you're like, I'm PPSing for jobs now. <laughs> peaks and troughs. Yeah. Okay. Are we doing peaks um, first or troughs first? You go first. All right. Let's see. I would say my trough recently was I looked at my phone on my meditation app and I realized it had been two and a half weeks since I last meditated. I thought it was not that far ago, but you know, it's things have been really challenging recently. I feel like I've not been as coherent in my thoughts. I feel like I've been kind of scatterbrained and yep, my phone saying, hey, it's been a while since you meditated do you want to today? And I I realized I was like, Oh, that's what has not been working well for me recently. So yeah. So getting back on track, it's, I can definitely tell the days that I haven't now that I've been back with it because like I had that notification over the weekend. So now it's like, 
I mean, even just yesterday after meditating, I was like, wow, okay. I don't care if this is a placebo effect or if this is just me remembering that, like, taking time to just slow down and really think about life with, you know, with purpose, with um, intention, really helps bring things back into perspective. So for those that are, like, intermittently sticking with their meditation, like, do your best to adhere to a, a, a schedule. Because it really, it really makes a difference. That kind of will segue into my my peak, I guess, too. But uh, my trough, it, well, there has been a little bit of an ant infestation into the new place I <laughs> moved into. But um, <laughs> it's actually oh, really no. not that bad. It, at least not compared to my whole centipede issue. If you've been following my TikTok, that was really, really bad. But. That we've, I've only seen a couple little ants, but it, it did trigger a little something inside of me. There's always more. There's always more. If there's one, <laughs> there's two. If there's the, you know, there's more. Right. I had that that issue at our previous apartment in Florida, but that's also Florida. Like, my one of my preceptors was like, people that say that the building doesn't have roaches are lying. Like every building's infested, and yeah, if I, yeah. Like anytime I'd make a, oh gosh. Yeah. Anytime I would make a cocktail that had any type of like citrus or any juice that would like, I would do a diligent job of, which my wife would probably disagree with me, but I felt like I did a diligent job of trying to clean up the residue of anything I'd made. Those insects, they would make sure they would find anything I failed to clean up. Yeah. It's the man cleaning. Man cleaning compared to women cleaning is just not the same. And I always have to explain it. Your wife would have to agree. It's just not the same. Is not the same, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure you did. You did a fantastic job at trying to trying your hardest to get there. I'm gonna so. tell her you said that, and she's gonna be like, "I agree with Callan. She's yeah. she's right." I know. I tell everyone that, and it's it's very true. Man, men clean, man, man cleaning versus women cleaning is just a whole different ball game. So your peaks. <laughs> Let's see. What's your peak? Peak. Oh, I would say my peak, and many would disagree that this is a peak, but tomorrow I get to do my first uh, presentation at a statewide conference. That is not a residency requirement. Like, I signed up to do this. It's a it's a resident pearl session I'm doing. Uh, it's me and two other residents in a 45-minute session, and so I'm doing 15 minutes on Steno. So I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. Like, I get to teach so much about, I don't know, I got to stop myself. I've been practicing, obviously, from earlier about, like, all right, how do I keep myself to 15 minutes? Because I've done 30 minute, I've done hour long, like, stand up presentations. So it's going to be a challenge. I'm sure I'm going to go over time, but I'm going to do my best to keep it as close to 15 minutes as I can. Mm-hmm. I know that's, that's a tough thing. I feel like I could talk for hours and then it's just harder when it, they make it shorter. So you're like, Oh, there's so much information. How do I talk about this? in only like 10, 15 minutes. So, but you got it. And I think you always bring up how much you love Steno. So I think that's funny, <laughs> but yeah, you're going to yeah. do a good job. You're going to do a good job. <laughs> Thanks. Um, what about you? Yeah. What's your peak? My peak. So we got two. Well, my lab in my previous lab, just found out that 
I have two more publications that are going to be published in the future. So look at you. I know. So we're getting somewhere. Um, so yeah, that'll be my third. And we still have some finalization things to do and it won't be public for another month or so. But yeah, very excited for that. And then got to present some um bacteriophage, antimicrobial peptide work at Michigan ASM conference. And that was really fun. Got to see some of the PhD students there. So love conferences, love making my poster and seeing the kind of the final results. So yeah, I would say that's my peak. Um, Not surprised that you're excited about bacteriophage stuff. I I remember like at at ID week that when we were looking at the different sessions to go to, you're like, Ooh, there's a phage one. Let's go to that. (laughs) we are going to this one although it was very different than what i thought but it was still a good good presentation still learned a lot and there's a lot to learn in this area so and who knows we'll be talking about it now but maybe in five ten years from now we're actually going to be using it which will be really crazy to think about but at least we have this recorded so if we do right time stamping it we're time stamping <laughs> it we were talking about bacteriophages back in 2023 so I remember at that that yeah. ID week 2022 during that bacteriophage session, it's like, did they use this for a steno infection? I don't remember. Did they? Yeah, I remember seeing oh, steno listed did. on one of their one of their organisms in the repository. It's like, interesting. All right, well, if, if there is a steno that has absolutely no treatment options, maybe the phage is the way to go. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, so part three will be us looking at the transition from resident to independent pharmacist. So not that residents are independent, but we'll also try and touch on, you know, going from student to pharmacist. Like not resident, you're the pharmacist. It is all on your license. So that'll be the next one. (laughs) Whether that be stressful or good or... Thanks for listening in, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you guys all and listening to us for our part three. All right. Well, we'll talk to see you uh, whatever term we want to use for oh, – I'm not – please edit that out. I'm so dumb. Or, or... <laughs> I, I know. don't know how to end these things. It's like, um, bye, guys. See ya. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, this is PKPD Podcast signing out. We'll see everyone on the third part of the series.